in a lot of ways, they're lava. If you touch them, you get grabbed and then bit, and then you're one of them. You know, from now on, I'm thinking of lava as like liquid zombies, because if you if you get killed by lava, you turn into lava. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Sepulchre in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 254 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to use Undead. But first the party takes a leap in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Twice Damned gets a second chance in the Character Creation Forge. I'm Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Behold Her share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative. Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found, or visit beholdherpodcast.com. So we are an RPG podcast, uh, which basically means that you should never listen to anything we have to say outside of gaming. But hey, Black Lives Matter. um, And that should be obvious to everybody. I I feel like we try to do a good job of sort of calling out uh, racism where we see it in this community. Uh, check out the Forgotten Realms campaign setting episode uh, with our now famous uh, racism index of all the nations in the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. You should be appalled about what police are doing in the streets right now. However, you should not be shocked because it's been happening for, well, basically as long as the police have been around. There has been a sudden influx of allies who have been vocal on social media, and I think that's great. What I really hope to see, though, is the same number of allies, or maybe even more, in two months, or six months, or a year, because these problems aren't going away, uh, and it is going to take all of us working constantly for the rest of our lives in order to start fixing these problems. Yeah, it's, it's super easy to join in and be part of the winning team when the momentum is in your favor, right? It's much harder to keep that fight going when reality sets in and and other things come up and this isn't immediately impacting your everyday life the way that these protests and and some of those events are, you know, impacting more than just for the first time in a long time people of color. Support uh the people of color in your life support uh black people send money when you can. Uh, speaking of that, we want to call out a few black creators uh, who we are fans of. Um, links are in the show notes. Uh, again, this is just a few. Um, I'm a big fan of Jerry Grayson at Capera Publishing. Uh, he's done work on you know Mythic D6. Uh, also, he uh, is a ska fan, so I don't hold that against him. Although maybe some of some of you do. Huh? Huh? I do. You know, it's reasonable. That's fair. Laura Simpson at Sweet Potato Press, uh, one of the developers of uh, Companion's Tale, uh, works on a lot of analog games as well. Dungeon Commander, uh, one of the names that echoes through the community, I think. They are the author of Mutants in the Night, which is a Forge in the Dark game that is excellent. Um, Aaron Radney, who is a freelance illustrator whose work is beautiful and um, I think 
think his commissions are closed, but when they're open, um, definitely worth checking out. Um, and then I think we would be remiss to not mention Tanya DePass, uh, Cypher of Tear from I Need Diverse Games, who is a um, gamer and uh, streamer and just member of the community who speaks um, a lot of truth to power. And that is sort of her whole um, <laughs> goal, frankly, is helping to fix um, some of the inequality that we have in the gaming space that we love and who takes a lot of flack for that. We are donating a month's worth of our Patreon and ad revenue uh, to bail funds and Black Lives Matter. If uh, anyone out there wants to either uh, match or you know make donations uh, on your own, let us know, and uh, you know we're happy to get involved. I, I think it's worth calling ourselves out, um, you know, to to acknowledge like this stuff is important, but also um, we have gotten. Uh, or I am at least very hyper aware that we have had three guests uh, in the history of our show and all of them have been straight white men. Um, of course, you know, Keith Baker, Monty Cook and uh, Ken Height, all people that I admire. Um, and we've had other guests that we wanted to have on. And I don't want to do that until we have somebody who is not a white man. <laughs> we haven't necessarily been great about that either. Part of that is there aren't a lot of designers with that level of like history in the industry who aren't white men because our industry is dominated by white men um and so you know that is something that we have had to kind of stop doing because we didn't want to continue perpetuating that yeah it's the same problem as in a lot of industries uh pipeline promotion and retention anyway that perhaps a conversation for another time a conversation that we are interested in having uh also you can put more money into a good cause. Uh, I think it's available for the next three or four days. Yeah, there is a bundle for racial justice and equality available right now on itch.io. It is getting a lot of spin on social media. It's like 750 tabletop and video games from indie creators. Uh, I think the minimum donation for this is $5. Um, we obviously gave more uh, because it is action-packed full of great games just in the tabletop space. It includes titles like Lancer, Blades in the Dark, Troika, Be Gay, Do Crimes, um, all games that are very popular, um, commonly played in like convention circles, right? So they are uh, games of note that are just available um, along with just a whole lot of others that you can quickly discover experiment with find um creators uh of marginalized voices and, and otherwise and like even just one of these games is probably worth i mean definitely worth your five dollars definitely worth, worth much more than that right <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and like a lot of you probably played these games but not necessarily owned them because like you know, usually one person in the group gets it and you know runs it for everybody else uh now's the time to you know show creators uh that you really love their game and also uh, give money to good causes. So get out there and get it. And shout out to Evil Hat. They've also put everything on pay what you want. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily tied to it, but um, they have just put their entire digital lineup as pay what you want. So they're supporting the community in the way that they can as well. All right. So on a less desperate and heavy uh, subject, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition d game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, on the lightning rail to Korth, the party is chasing a killer. So the long journey has been interrupted by screams in the carriage ahead of them. Rushing forward, they see 
yet another undead amalgam creature climbing in through a broken window, a dead commoner pinned to the ground by one of its bone claws. So all the passengers bolt, naturally, and uh, like the heroes they are, the party pushes their way through the crowd, trying to reach and engage the enemy. Lenore ducks behind the long bench and begins firing her bow from cover. Warden turns into a bear, and Switch and Zan charge into melee. This is a bear in a train. You know, that makes sense. Snakes on a plane, bears on a train. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> that a sequel. Works. But the undead moves with blinding speed, and before anyone can react, it pins four more fleeing peasants to the ground and the wall, dead. Then turns its attention to the party. So it has these, these like bone hands that end in long claws, and they just sort of morph into uh, elongated spears of bone, and it uses these things to stab again and again, uh, and forces Warden out of his bear form and back into his human form. Yeah, that's short-lived, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Warden conjures a sphere of flame and then returns to his bear form. So Switch the Paladin and Zan the Hexblade give as good as they get. Um, It's basically a smite party. They're just Uh just dropping smites left and right. But they notice that the creature's wounds do begin to knit together, although it is taking damage. Suddenly, the entire world goes dark for everybody except for Zan, who has eyes that can pierce magical darkness. He can see that the creature has teleported, showing up behind Lenore and leaving darkness both in its wake and at its destination. This is perhaps the most annoying ability in the game. (laughs) Yes. So Warden dispels the darkness, leaving the undead open to attack, but it stabs Lenore into unconsciousness and then smashes her through a window and out of the train. She lands in a crumpled heap by the track and begins to bleed out. Once again, the creature summons the darkness and then turns its attention to the dwarf Ondarian, Sergeant Buck, who has ushered as many passengers as he can out of the back of the car. Very quickly, he falls to the bone blades and then his body is thrown out yet another window. The train continues to rush forward, leaving two bodies far behind in the dark. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are continuing our series on using iconic monsters, and this time we are talking about undead. So they're probably the monster most often found in popular media that are also going to show up in your games, you know, movies and TV, books, video games. But this does mean that the players will probably have more varied ideas about what undead are like and how they're supposed to be interacting with them. Undead, of course, range from the mindless reanimated corpses of zombies to immortal predators to all-powerful, unkillable wizards. They can at any point be used in the game and at any level in the power curve, and they're, you know, a good thematic thing to keep uh, a through line for 20 levels. Yeah, who doesn't want to fight undead? That's cool. Also, you can usually kill them with no moral (laughs) impact. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Usually. So it is important when you are using them or, you know, when you're fighting them to remember that they are dead. They have fundamentally different needs and viewpoints and goals than living creatures, which, you know, living creatures are the vast majority of enemies or NPCs that most parties are going to encounter in any kind of game. So it it makes them different and strange. The immediate needs of living propel most creatures. So undead creatures need some kind of different motivation. 
that also means they can be really hard to understand or, or to comprehend, right? They're not necessarily operating under the same assumptions that living creatures are, even if, you know, they're completely different from you. Like, like orcs still want to eat and, and sleep and fight, which, you know, people can at least understand. But an undead probably doesn't necessarily care for those things. Or care at all. It can, it can present maybe like an interesting puzzle for living PCs. Because undead were once living, they have lost something at least their lives. So this can make them tragic figures, right? Even if they don't feel the loss, um, you know, empathy might kind of inform how the characters respond to them. I think a lot of times we sort of overlook, like when you meet an undead soldier, like a skeleton or a zombie, whatever, it it's often like using armor and weapons, right? But those were the armor and weapons it was using in life. Like, are those recognizable? Um, are these like fallen comrades? Uh, are these like... Um, heirlooms of like a lost civilization uh that was destroyed when like this undead thing was created like these, these all had meaning to someone even if they don't necessarily have meaning to like the shambling corpse you're fighting right now did this vampire's wife uh die tragically and then has had to live for hundreds of years with this knowledge being unable to stop it and reliving it every night and then falls in love again with a redneck girl from louisiana and <laughs> i don't know what happens yes that's definitely what's happening in my game and at the same time, when you're using Undead in a game, remember that they present a glimpse of what could be in store for any of the players. Death comes for us all in the end. The very existence of, of Undead is in some way an implicit threat to the safety of the party. Let's start by defining our Undead. First of all, let's think of the mythos that we're coming from for Undead. I think if you're going to use them in a game, you should have an idea of like where where they sit in your world, right? I think maybe lots of times in a traditional fantasy game, you're just like, oh, it's low level and it's a dark cave and we're just going to have some undead and they're going to fight skeletons because like those show up in the adventure. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a lot more meaningful to, you know, figure out how they fit and like how the party is also going to think of the undead, right? So you've got your traditional zombie movie tropes. Uh, there's dark magic or some kind of weird science that reanimates dead corpses and they feed on the flesh of the living and they have no remorse and they never stop. You might also find them as mindless hordes with no end. They can't be reasoned with. You can only really destroy them or escape them, right? They become kind of part of the landscape, not really uh, an, an, act, an acting character in that way. Yeah, they're almost like an environmental hazard. You know, undead are here. Maybe we skirt around that. Right, yeah, in a lot of ways, they're lava, right? <laughs> if you touch them, you get grabbed and then bit, and then you're one of them. You know, from now on, I'm thinking of lava as like liquid zombies, because if you if you get killed by lava, you turn into lava. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then sort of moving up the, the hierarchy, you have undead who retain some part of their humanity. And they're usually defined by who they were in life, right? Like a vampire still looks like their former self, even though they're dead. And they probably can't ever even change the way that they look. Yeah, you have ghosts that are known for haunting the places or the people that were important to them or revenants who are seeking revenge against those who wronged them. Um, all types of variants between them, banshees, that kind of stuff. That probably means that these kinds of undead can be bargained with, um, or, or at least there's something that they want, right? That you can, you know, parlay with or offer to them to appease them, which means there's a lot more opportunity for role playing. You basically don't role play against like a horde of zombies or skeleton warriors. 
you might not also be able to role play, but at least if you can understand, right, like in a puzzle sort of way, mm -hmm. like the ghost might not be able to communicate to you, but you might be able to learn enough about the ghost in order to interpret what it truly wants, what's driving it, and then free it. I think it's important to here to determine in your game, like where is the soul of the undead creature? I think pretty much in, in most games where you have uh, undead, you're also dealing with like souls. I mean, maybe in like a, a hard side Resident Evil zombie uh, mythos, this doesn't come up, but I think usually it does. And the answer to that question, which may or may not be clear to people, can help determine how people in the world feel about the practice of creating or raising or, you know, fighting undead, right? Like, is a, a person's soul trapped inside the undead husk in torment for eternity? That probably means that, like, an undead creature is, a, is an abomination and, like, creating undead is a very bad thing and evil thing to do and you should not do that. If it's, like, the Eberron-style Carnathy point of view is, you know, an undead is just a moving corpse, maybe you feel less bad about it on account of it's just another resource to be deployed. That corpse was just going to be pushing up daisies otherwise. Yeah, that's what other corpses do. They feed us. Does right. that gross you out less? <laughs> um, I, I think this is this makes for interesting dynamics between the different groups of undead, right? Like, so so typically, like vampires aren't seen as having their souls trapped or tormented, right? Um, they're evil for the sake of evil, and, and that's what they do. So, killing a vampire is really just releasing or, or solving an evil. Whereas, like, you have ghosts or banshees tend to be in the way that they are trapped, right? Like by killing them or or freeing them what you're doing is freeing their soul right so they're the kind of the kind of undead who might torment you because they don't know any other way to deal with it uh, they don't have any other form of expression but you do and therefore you can kind of have a moral victory by freeing them rather than just killing them yeah and i think the the backdrop to this is you know decide what is what is actually happening in the game world and then you can you know decide what people think is actually happening in the game world. And then you have the party sort of interact with those two things, right? Like a, a, a brellish paladin probably has very different feelings about, um, you know, how undead operate and where the soul is than like a, you know, a Carnathy warlord. The other one that stands out here are liches, right? Where you're deliberately separating your soul from your body. Um, and, and then like you can, you can kind of play with, you know, you have to be a certain level of power to even consider doing this. That might mean that you're inherently evil and the soul is separated and that just is what makes you an evil undead at that point. Um, it could be that, like, you, a good person who tries to become a lich, uh, losing touch with their soul is what corrupts them. Or it could be the act of actually separating a soul is evil, right? It's like a moment of falling uh, into evil by taking that drastic step. Like, it's a crime against existence in its way. Yeah. You know, the lich answer to where are the souls are inside all these gems. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> inside all these salt crystals that are <laughs> dissolved in the sea. <laughs> I'll be here forever. Miserable. <laughs> all right. So consider the physiology of your undead. Uh, what is it that powers them? The answer is usually some sort of magic or, you know, the negative plane of energy, or they may even just break the laws of physics, right? Like, um, or medicine. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I think 28 days later, those zombies eventually starve to death because they're actually just people. But I think World War Z zombies are like perpetual motion machines, essentially. Yeah. Un or, until like they're physically destroyed. 
and like the last of us is like a fungus that actually like corrupts the brain and then takes and animates corpses so you know whatever uh sure call it the laws of physics i guess physics underpin everything (laughs) so you know if this is important to defeating the undead or it's a plot point in your story great like nail it down and you know players try to figure it out but you can also just hand wave this like I don't know what's powering this skeleton. Is there some sort of portal to the plane of negative energy here? Uh, Who really cares? We're fighting a skeleton. Yeah. Then consider what kills them. Uh, There might be some undead that nothing kills them, right? Maybe you just can't possibly harm a ghost. You have to like solve the problem that it has. Maybe it's just enough physical damage. Like if you reduce bones to dust, the skeleton can't physically move could be an exorcism or some other type of religious act or some act of faith devotion goodness that can um counter them right like their evil is overwhelmed by your goodness or again it's a puzzle right um vampires can be killed with silver or garlic or a stake through the heart or maybe two out of three of those but not the last one consider what effect undead have um you know do they blight the landscape uh do they like kill plant life that they walk over um do they turn abandoned buildings into terrible haunted houses and then you know how do they kill people uh do they rip them apart are they like zombies that have to feed and they physically eat them or what happens to those people that they kill you know a a vampire can choose to make you a vampire or make you a vampire thrall or just drink all your blood and let you be dead there might be rules to what they need to do in order to do one versus the other um you know likewise i don't think zombies typically get a choice in whether or not they make new zombies that just happens and then like pretty much all iconic monsters consider which legends are actually true and then which legends do people just think are true there's a lot of sort of like folk wisdom that might actually have the real answers but might actually be completely wrong in whatever game setting you're actually playing in and and i think these are super good for introducing dramatic irony or (laughs) worse reducing the value of metagaming right um a lot of times your players will be playing around with what are the rules in effect you know i know within the the vampire canon that there are these 13 potential ways to deal with vampires because i've studied every vampire media there is which of these apply in this game and which ones do not oh i'm gonna use a mirror to see if it's actually a vampire that doesn't work here uh, because vampires love to look at themselves. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's one of my favorite things in Night's Black Agents, actually. Is it's just like any or all of these rules might apply. And also, it depends which vampires you're using. Like, right. <laughs> you know, your Chinese jumping vampires don't really give a shit about mirrors. <laughs> You've got a lot of information. You can now use it to world build or to, um, you know, make the setting that you're already playing in. Uh, make a lot more sense when it comes to fitting in your undead. You know, where do they fit into your setting? Are they a constant threat or just an occasional menace that sometimes pops up and then there needs to be, you know, a bunch of paladins go out and stomp them out? Yeah, are they something that needs to be summoned or created actively? Do they arise naturally or, you know, perhaps through some uh, coincidental calamity, right? Like, what creates the first zombie is maybe the accident, but then zombies naturally reproduce themselves. And then how much interaction do they have with the living? Like, is this Night's Black Agents where the vampires are walking among us and, you know, they're pulling the strings or, you know, the masquerade where they're basically like in charge of the entire world? Or do they like live inside deep, dark forests and they don't get near anybody because it's so obvious that they're undead? Are animated skeletons just unknown threat for adventurers, or is that a rare and surprising thing when you first in- encounter them in a dungeon? 
this whole country is just a giant dungeon. I know that because of all the skeletons just walking around and doing hard labor. (laughs) (laughs) So if undead are controlled, who is it that's controlling them? And to what end? Like in Karnath, they're soldiers, right? And they're controlled by like necromancers and wizards who say, hey, go fight our enemies. There are those societies that could just use undead as just straight up free labor. You know, they're they're certainly benefiting the, li- the living by making it so that no one has to work in the mines and breathe in like coal dust. That's certainly much better if you can have skeletons do that. Some would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking Cam would say. <laughs> but but how do like other nations or other religions feel about that? Um, and, and, you know, go back to what you sort of established as like true in your setting. Like, sure, I can say it's much better for zombies to do mining than living people but if the presence of a zombie somehow blights the landscape then we're almost like in a in a like fossil fuel type of scenario where you know there are certainly benefits to using this power source but there are long-term consequences that are you know really gonna like kick us in the ass yeah also like you know there's just the uh the argument of property rights right like your dead body does not belong to the state it belongs to your family and if your family isn't consenting to you raising your body to become an undead zombie miner like really you should be compensated for that and that's just you know like basic civilized society needs to protect those rights that's right or you know it's it's really you know inappropriate and and a bit déclassé to let your uh family's corpses be used uh to serve other people. We use them as servants in our own home. Right, yeah, which is why Uncle Ricky is finally paying his dues. <laughs> That's why we I don't know why we kept him around so long. He was a heel in real life and now he's serving my heel. <laughs> heel Uncle Ricky. All right, so let's talk about using undead as NPCs. Zombies, skeletons, ghouls, those types of things, you know, your lower level, more mindless undead, these are your cannon fodder. They won't be reasoned with. They might be able to be tricked or, you know, like uh, led into a diversion or trapped or something like that, depending on how they're being commanded. But they're otherwise just going to be a problem to solve with brute strength. There are less powerful, intelligent undead um, where you sort of run the risk of your party just wanting to kill them on sight. Um, you know, some whites, uh, ghosts, things like that. But they can become a really good encounter if there is some sort of hook for the party, right? The ghost has unfinished business. Um, if if the undead is relatable, the party is much more likely to engage with them, right? Like the ghost is recognizable. They know this person or they recognize what, what the ghost is wearing. And so like they have an idea where this person was from or when they were from. It can be an intriguing mystery or, you know, the circumstances of their death can tie into a character's backstory. Yeah. And, and the technique for this is to try to humanize uh, these sort of like semi-intelligent undead before the party has to make a choice of fight or flight because parties naturally are going to fight. Um, But if they can witness the undead going about their routine, for example, right? Like the ghost who tries to pick flowers, right? Um, Because they are trapped in this place where they died picking flowers for their mother, right? Like now that is a suddenly more human element to the ghost rather than I better draw my sword and fight this ghost, right? Yeah, and if you have a party that is sort of hell-bent on fighting, uh, you can make some undead invincible or, you know, not killable by normal means, which kind of forces the party to engage as a puzzle instead of a combat encounter. So, you know, 
they're picking flowers. I'm a paladin. I don't care. I draw my sword and I slice through, you know, the the body. But, you know, your sword just whiffs right through it like nothing is there. Yeah. And the um, plug for The Witcher as a franchise series world, right, that it draws a lot from like Eastern European folktale myth. Um, which is why this works for it, but they've kind of integrated that into the setting. Is like, yeah, when ghosts arise, like you can't just kill them, right? You have to solve conditions for them. You need to beat them down so they don't kill you, but then you need to solve that problem for them to actually free them. Yeah, they're already dead. What are you going to do to them? <laughs> right. <laughs> now, most long-term RP interactions are going to be with powerful undead who either... I don't want to toy with a party or maybe they need something from the party or they need the party to do something. So think about what is it that a living person has that an undead creature needs? A soul Um, to corrupt. Right? A a body to possess. (laughs) Those are all great options. Also, it could just be that like, I can't leave this place because I am tied to it because this is where I died. I need you to go get a thing. Or yeah, like the ability to move in the daylight. Right. That's why we hire werewolves. (laughs) undead of course are immortal so they don't have a human time scale on accomplishing these goals sure you know the the creature may want to be alive again or have a body to possess but they might just be willing to wait until the right body comes along like none of you are quite strong enough call me when superman shows up yeah and and immortality is always a double-edged sword right because because you can't die that means you are also subject to perpetual torture and and you know being sunk to the bottom of the ocean uh like those those kind of solutions to immortality that are big liabilities for your long-term prospects of joy so you know they are also prone then to paranoia megalomania all of those like kind of negative traits that follow along yeah just because you can't die doesn't mean you can't hurt It can be helpful here, though, to add resource constraints to the undead activities to give them some kind of deadline so that there is a reason for them to engage with this particular party at this particular time. Yeah. I I need more souls. I I need more reagents or whatever, and I need them right now. Yeah. This bigger threat is coming to destroy me and you. Right. I live on the world. Oh, well, I not live, but you know what I mean. Look, you just found out I've been here, and I've been here for 200 years. That thing is going to kill us both. (laughs) We should work together, and then we can sort out the aftermath. They have even more time to amass like wealth and power than dragons, right? Like you could you could have a million year old lich, doesn't matter. It's fun to just let them use it. Although I think unlike devils with with undead, like you said, you know they they can often sort of give into uh, neuroses or you know megalomania or things like that. They might be short sighted because they are dead and don't have to focus on normal timescales. So they might like miss something that's obvious because they have a completely different mindset. Yeah, because their mindset has adapted from what it was in life, whereas devils were born that way, right? Like the, I, I think that's one of the things that makes Undead compelling is that they remember what it's like to be alive. Or at least they think they do. Yeah, exactly. They, they remember that ideal, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lich, even though they have a you know, comically long timescale, still thinks of that timescale in the way that you and I think of that timescale because they used to be human, whereas a devil was never human. Mm-hmm. A devil has never known any existence that was not pain and abuse by higher devils, right? It has never known any reason to exist other than to tempt mortal souls. It has never had any reason to think otherwise. But even like a powerful lich probably remembers what it was like to love someone even if they don't feel that anymore. Right. Even if it was, you know, thousands of years ago. They also probably remember, like, you can get into some comical stuff or even just, like, you know, little touchstones here that sort of drive home the point that 
they, their mind has sort of been corrupted. Like, they remember you have to eat. You know, they're keeping you prisoner. They'll feed you. They're just like, you know, you have to eat, like, what, once a week? Is that, is that <laughs> how often it is? I, and it's been forever, really. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or they might, like, sit down to a meal, but not serve themselves. Right. Right. Think about when the party is going to meet undead. Frequently. (laughs) (laughs) Early and often. I mean, they are likely going to meet them at low level, right? It's just such a common trope to meet uh, undead warriors that are relatively fragile, but unrelenting um, early on in a campaign. Even if the campaign doesn't really have anything to do with undead. Yeah, they're, again, a good mook to stomp. These are the times, right, when they're first being introduced where you can touch on like how does it feel to be in the presence of undead even a lowly skeletal warrior like is the air cold around it um is there a, a fear aura or something scary about it like it it doesn't breathe so is the air like extremely still even though it's moving um or i don't know does being around a vampire seem remarkably normal like you expected this would be some sort of like undead horrible abomination but they actually seem really nice that is one of those things, like, a lot of the noise that people make is through breathing, right? Like, if you don't breathe, you can't scream. Um, if you don't breathe, you can't, um, like, whisper, right? Uh, imagine fighting a skeleton that just sounds like creaking bone, right? Or a zombie whose only sound you hear is just the shuffle of feet. Nothing else. The entire time, they get stabbed, they never make a noise. Unblinking eyes, like, when you fight a person... Like a trained warrior can look at someone's eyes and, you know, so that sort of telegraphs what they're going to do. But a, a, a zombie just sort of stares unblinking. It doesn't need to look at a thing. It just looks at his feet the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> if it suits the story, you know, at, at this point, even at low levels, you can make the undead hard to kill. So the PCs have to find out more about them, um, you know, make it sort of a, a dire struggle. And then they're sort of propelled to go look for more information or figure out what exactly it is that they're up against. And then for the more intelligent and scheming kind of undead, think about what are its end goals? Are they looking for power, magic? Is there some MacGuffin that they need? Um, Is it an attempt to return to life? A lot of times that's a big vampire motivation. I wasn't made into a vampire by choice. I would like to be a person again. Yeah, and the opposite of a lich motivation. Like, ugh, ugh, life. Why would I ever want to do that? Or, I mean, yeah, opposite is, boy, this was a bad bargain (laughs) (laughs) i've made a terrible mistake right you know it would be great to actually die (laughs) right (laughs) so methods i think even a powerful undead is probably more likely to resort to something like force like just try to force the party to like give them a thing or you know take their magic items or you know like um send them out uh into the world on some kind of fetch quest it's much less likely to try to, you know, persuade you or trick you than like a devil. Just because they don't use force against you doesn't mean they won't use force against somebody else in order to hire you, right? So if you're looking for something, they could put their resources towards that while you work for them for a bit. Um, That's a a very kind of classic vampire fantasy trope, right? Is the, you can work for the vampire. The vampire won't kill you on sight, but what are you accomplishing in, to their benefit and does that outweigh what they're giving you? They've had, you know, generations to amass a fortune, so maybe they do not care that, about giving you, like, you know, 500,000 credits. 
Let me tell you about compound interest. Right. (laughs) I own the bank on Coruscant. Exactly. You want to get paid? Sure, whatever. (laughs) They also have probably access to lots of information. I mean, maybe that's like, you know, blackmail. Sure. But it's probably more something like, I know about ancient history. I have tomes with spells you have never even conceived of because I made them or, you know, I know the wizards who made them 15,000 years ago and those countries don't even exist anymore. They also might have information about themselves that might not be available in other sources, right? Like the the need to protect themselves has led them to amass any knowledge of vampire weaknesses. Um, perhaps you could get that from them. Um, also, there's a, a big thing where a lot of times they want to like fight other undead who give them a bad name, right? Um, like we're good vampires, we're killing the evil vampires, or <laughs> I'm a good lich, not a bad lich. Um, so they can, they can kind of work towards those ends as well. I'm a more good lich ish, a good ish. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other time that you'll probably run into NPC undead is when they are minions of other characters, either PCs or NPCs, because of course, uh, in most settings where undead can be created, PCs can make them. Mm -hmm. Who is the necromancer in the party reanimating? Uh, are these just whatever corpses you happen to come across? Uh, are these, you know, treasured family members or, you know, only like followers of a particular religion because they're the only ones worthy of being used in this way? And if you're traveling with a bunch of, you know, dead people, what do they look like? Like, do you have a, a sort of almost feral necromancer who doesn't care that their zombies are naked? Uh, is that very disconcerting? Is that useful in combat? What do they what do these corpses smell like? How well preserved are they? And then of course, how do the other party members feel about the practice? Is this the kind of thing where they might put out a party member and not let them travel because that's distasteful or not let them keep undead uh, only if they, you know, only use them if they raise them in battle and then release them immediately afterwards, something like that. Yeah, and you know, this could be an arc where like the paladin and the necromancer sort of come to an understanding it seems fine at first and then you know you know several adventures later you're like oh no i i'm definitely not on board with this or vice versa i kind of like the idea of like you know maybe a gray paladin being like sure you raise the undead uh corpses of our enemies and i you know i guess that's fine and they're useful but i really insist that like we we keep them clothed uh because it's just very inappropriate for them to be naked yeah <laughs> uh, modesty loincloths please come on come on Let's talk about how to use undead in combat. They're a great option for low to mid-level battles that have lots of enemies that the PCs don't need to have any compunctions about destroying. You, you mentioned this earlier, Shane. Like, There's no moral dilemma when you're destroying a mindless zombie. Yeah, mass combat rules were made for undead. <laughs> yeah, how many crits did I get? Great, those are all headshots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you needed them. <laughs> <laughs> so hordes of low-level undead can be dispatched relatively easily. Um, the difficulty usually comes from the numbers, right? Like there are hordes of undead because you can make undead faster than even orcs can breed, right? And then every time there are losses on the side of the living, they can then become co-opted and turned into more undead. Or it might just be that undead are like literally difficult to kill. It has to be a headshot. You have to destroy the brain. You have to like completely dismember a body so that it you know has no means of locomotion and even like a, a skeleton's intact hand will keep crawling along the ground toward you and try to strangle you. Yeah, or you have to burn the body, something like that. Right. 
so just one good way of kind of implementing this then is sort of the infinite spawn mechanic right if uh you know if undead are pouring down the hallway uh, effectively thousands um there might be a limited number that can actually flow into the room that they're in the pcs are in but they must deal with six new zombies every turn that will never change right that's the constant and whatever they're trying to do in that room is balanced against this impending threat right like that's that's one of the ways to implement that without it just being like cool there's two thousand undead start rolling dice and (laughs) counting up your tallies yeah there's no limit to the number of zombies that can claw their way out of the ground in the graveyard right right (laughs) but the party's here in a graveyard because you've got to solve some thing or the you know the necromancer is like having the ritual here so, yes, you're always going to have wave upon wave of these like minion undead creatures that are, you know, range from a nuisance to, you know, uh, you know, a- a- about to like completely overwhelm you while some of the uh, characters take on the alternative combat objective that is actually going to end this battle. Good time to have spirit guardians is what I'm saying. <laughs> There's never a bad time to have spirit guardians. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> All right, so what are some of the weaknesses of Undead? This will depend on your mythos, but usually it's something like divine magic or, you know, an an exorcism. Um, There might be a physiological weak point, like the brain. Uh, It could be cutting them off from their power source, like uh, hallowing an area so that they can't be animated by negative energy. Certain environments or certain systems, you might be able to kill a necromancer that will release its undead, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then at the higher level, like more powerful undead... Uh, keep in mind their immortality might be a liability, right? That might make them careless. That might make them uh, poorly consider their choices. They might have different strategies than the players are aware of that might actually make them weaker. Yeah, this is a good time for the party to be able to sort of spring on uh, some of the research that they've been doing, right? Like a vampire may care none if you pull a gun on it, uh, except that we uh, these are silver bullets. Holy water bullets. Yep. <laughs> Paintballs. <laughs> Oh, I didn't consider this. Uh. Low-level undead also, um, one of the weaknesses is that they're just they're just dumb, right? Mm-hmm. They don't really have intelligence on their own. And, you know, they're, they're given a, a command and then they go out and try to carry it out to the best of their ability. If you can figure out what that command was, you might be able to usurp it or uh, short-circuit it. So what are some undead tactics then? Best one, we've already talked about it, is just swarm. Attack relentlessly. One of the cool things about these kinds of creatures is that you can throw them at a party and they have absolutely no regard for their own self-preservation. They will walk into lava. um, They will charge into overwhelming odds. They do not care. Yeah, they don't have morale. You hear these stories about like people in times of like crisis or extreme danger doing like Um, physical feats that are normally impossible, like, you know, a a mother lifts a car off her child, right? Mm -hmm. These things are actually possible because the human body is physically capable of doing that, but we have internal, like, nervous system limiters that prevents us from doing this because it is terrible for your body. Like, you're basically, like, ripping your own tendons off, right? But undead can be extremely physically powerful because they don't care about destroying their own bodies. They can run headfirst into a wooden door over and over again until the body literally falls apart. Undead will often rely on their hardiness to avoid or ignore mundane attacks. You know, um, famously, like, skeletons were um, immune to piercing damage. You just went between their bones. So if you bring a spear to them, they're just going to walk into you. 
Remember that you can always have an infinite supply of forces as long as you kill more of the enemy. Right. This is especially useful in mass combat scenarios where you have sort of like faceless NPCs on the the side of the good guys. It's a little more difficult when you're dealing with a small party because you actually need to kill a PC and then reanimate them. But, you know, there are some spells or abilities that just straight up do that. Like if this undead creature kills you, you rise as a, a specter or a zombie. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, zombies might do this themselves, or it might be the necromancers that are directing the undead army are going to spend their time resurrecting the dead enemy. Yeah, and if the party knows that this is a possibility, then it makes a lot of their tactics more difficult, right? Like, you can't even let the zombie scratch you because that is going to turn you into a zombie as well, which means we basically are, we have to stick to ranged attacks. There's no other way to stay safe. Also, you can use the environment. Right. That's one of the like iconic scenes of the, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, right, is the undead crew simply walk along the sea floor because they don't breathe, they don't eat, they don't sleep. They walk straight through and then climb up the chains uh, of the anchor onto the ship to raid it because what can you do? You can't see them below the surface and they're immune to it. The vacuum of space doesn't bother them. You could be in a barren wasteland that's hostile to all of your enemies. That actually is probably a great place to set up your fortress of undead. Also, douse the lights. Uh, most undead have dark vision in some capacity or can see in the dark or don't need to see at all because like a skeleton doesn't have eyeballs. Who cares if it's dark? It'll just use whatever weird sense it's using to see anyway. Undead are also generally immune to poison, so it's a great time to throw your cloud kills and your other kind of uh, you know poison attacks onto the battlefield. Your mustard gas, wow, mustard gas plus undead. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, World <laughs> World War One was a uh, was a real nightmare in the zombie alternative timeline. It really was. Uh, Geek the cleric. Make sure that you are taking care of the person who might be able to use turn undead uh, to make all of your forces flee. Yeah. <laughs> You're immune to morale, except for that morale. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes sense that, you know, uh, undead would be drawn to um, someone who is like a, a beacon of hope and light. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be metagaming. Also, hordes should do all the damage that they can possibly do before they're destroyed, right? They're mostly mindless, so every bit of the castle wall that they can tear down or every one of the enemy troops that they can even just maim is going to be a win for the undead as a whole. You know, you can always get more corpses to make more undead, but it's much tougher to get more soldiers. Yeah, and as part of this too, like, you know, think of the World War Z, kind of the horde of zombies creating a ramp to climb a wall of themselves, right? They just stack on top of each other, uh, and eventually any wall they can overcome. For recurring villain uh, undead, Retreat when necessary, right? Like you are hardier and you've got plans and resources, but if you get destroyed, you are losing much more than just the rest of a single finite lifetime. You are losing forever. Yeah, you're losing immortality. Yeah, this isn't where your plans are supposed to end. Just leave and come back in a generation or whatever. You know, after these people don't have children. Right. Make, make them swear blood oaths. And then keep in mind, of course, the best tactics for a memorable fight might be different from the best tactics for the undead themselves um so in your narrative sense right what's the purpose of this battle what action are the undead driving the the party toward uh what are you expecting to get out of this and how are you trying to challenge the players 
keep it within you know the reasonable framework of the undead don't have them acting like unpredictable idiots but you don't have to perfectly play your undead in order to get the best effect in the game because ultimately the narrative is what drives our decision right and sometimes you don't want to play them in the most effective way like it actually probably isn't the best idea to have your lich disappear for an entire generation (laughs) right even though that that might be the smartest thing for the lich to do yeah i'll just wait this one out (laughs) Right. <laughs> no thanks. Pass. <laughs> Story over. <laughs> I'm gonna wait till after the harmonic convergence. Okay, like when right. you're at your most powerful. The chosen one. I'll wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> I choose to leave. All right. What about undead for PCs? Hey, maybe you're a necromancer. Consider what is your connection or fascination with undead. Like, why did you choose to be a necromancer? There are a lot of ways to be an adventuring wizard, and it does not have to involve corpses. How do you view your thralls? You know, are they puppets? Um, are they friends? Yeah, they're probably friends. That's weirder. Yeah, that's weirder. <laughs> uh, also, think about what are the logistics of everyday life. Uh, you're going into town. What do you do with your undead? You know, you need to go get healed at a temple what do you do where do you source your corpses what do you do with them when you have to go into places they're not allowed how do you handle this yeah are you a grave robber do you have to be a grave robber are you disappointed but that there haven't been a spate of murders here in the city do you have to hide even if you're not a grave robber do you have to hide your activities because they'll assume you're a grave robber and then how do you view the living like after a while do you start looking at enemies and thinking oh this would make a great zombie skeletons just not unpacked yet (laughs) they come with so much padding to protect them why they're very sturdy you could also be a a character that is undead like a revenant you've come back from the dead for some sort of purpose or, or reason so how did you die you know how painful was it why did you come back i mean it was probably a very bad death or you had something completely unfinished that was extremely important to you that your death prevented you from doing and that's why you've been reanimated also what happens to you when you fulfill your purpose do you die are you released from your curse um you know is that the end of your story or is that when you get your free will back and what's different now that you're dead like you don't need to breathe or eat or sleep or things like that most likely is that weird is that freeing What is it that you lost when you died? Because there's definitely things that you don't have anymore. But also consider what is it that you've gained? You have new abilities now. What maybe you have new insight into what it's like to be dead. I I feel like my revenant would be very much um showing off their capability as a revenant, but at the (laughs) same time being like, you don't want this. (laughs) I have to do this in order to feel anything. Exactly. This is all I have. I'm just imagining your revenant is like, um, you know, the first five minutes of any movie about virtual reality where people are just throwing themselves off buildings for fun. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Life is GTA 5. <laughs> <laughs> Often magic or magic items are the only way to combat undead or certain kinds of undead. So uh, players seek them out, um, but you, you may not necessarily want to invest resources in things that are undead specific unless you know it's going to come up in game right like a mace of smiting is great if you're going to go into catacombs but if you're not it's just a regular magical mace keep in mind you've got 
turning and turn resistance are often granted by uh, certain items. So if you can enhance your ability to turn undead, that's often a good choice if you're going to be facing them. And if you are playing an intelligent undead, they're probably finding some way to get turn resistance or even straight up immunity. Right. Consider the special items, and these don't necessarily need to be like things in the book, right? These are plot items or MacGuffins that can injure or maybe even allow you to affect certain undead at all, right? Like, uh, fine, I'll, I'll do it. The movie Ghost. Uh, p- people can't see ghosts, and only through like a great deal of effort can a, a ghost affect the real world. But there's a lot of opportunity there for, uh, you know, like, emotional storytelling about like what enables you to sort of cross that veil uh what keeps you here rather than passing on to the the other side and you know what but potential like objects it may not even necessarily be magic it might just be like a, a touchstone from your from the person's life that is meaningful to them clay pots uh, yeah. throw pots <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's actually it's the uh it's the pottery wheel like, uh, that's what the the attraction is too yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> and if you're fighting undead you're going to want to look for items that kill or control them so killing them obviously disrupting weapons silver items usually things that are holy or blessed in some manner a lot of the controlling elements are going to be kind of based on your undead canon right so perhaps dirt from a grave could be powerful uh, certain like magics that you can cast can can control or disrupt undead or control the controller right there's probably someone who is uh, controlling those mindless undead and if you can leverage them then you can leverage the undead so to wrap this up uh, i think undead are probably a part of every D campaign i've ever played uh, whether they were the focus or not so they're a super versatile monster that you're kind of neglecting a, a very low-hanging fruit uh, to introduce into your campaign at some point. Yeah, there are so many different kinds, and there's so much different mythos that it's a really nice way to sort of surprise your players a bit. Um, I mean, I know I, I as a player don't necessarily want to know exactly how to deal with the undead that we're confronting. I sort of like um, being surprised or like having to have my character figure out in game the ways that we are going to deal with this threat. This is one of those things where players expect gray area for how undead work in any given campaign or setting, right? Like they expect the rules of undead to change. They expect to have to explore them. So do that. Whereas like in my world, elves aren't like elves. They're like this other thing. It's kind of like okay, but why are they elves? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, elf means something, right? And and the meaning of undead is, of, of, of course, right, not not living things. But part of that meaning in, in game and story terms is the rules have to be figured out, right? Like, they change from story to story. What are the rules here? It gives them something where they feel like, yes, I don't know what's happening and that's the right thing. <laughs> I can relate to this Uh, ambiguity yeah it's cool when players are like hey are these fast zombies or slow zombies right exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) are these hopping vampires or you know like eastern european vampires all right we're gonna get some beans we're gonna get some mirrors we're gonna get some silver i mean missing anything grab some garlic all right (laughs) yeah across (laughs) (laughs) all right do you hear that ishan it's just the quiet creak of bones and uh rotted leather
All right, well, let's move on to the character creation forge and figure out what that skeleton was in life. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building The Twice Damned. Who is, of course, someone who has died once and does not plan to die again. All right. Uh, although in order to do that, they've uh, had to make a few deals. Yeah. <laughs> so what deal did they make, Ishan? This is a Pact of the Tome Fiend Warlock 15, Divination Wizard 2, Eloquence Bard 3. I don't even know what that is, so let's get into it. <laughs> so first off, we're going to take the supernatural gift, Hollow One, from Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, which means we are dead, we have died, and come back to life. Uh, it's a tiny bit of a power boost, so obviously you've got to ask your, your GM, but you know, you're ageless. You don't count as undead, but you ping as undead to spells and effects that um, detect undead. And then as an action, you can give a creature within 15 feet of you uh, disadvantage on its next saving throw, which is like, you do it once per day, so it's like whatever. The only real like uh, mechanical benefit you get is you regain one hit point on death saving rolls of 16 or higher rather than 20. Yeah, and that is one of those things that's like just saves your healer from having to do some, you know, BS healing cleanup. So right. cool, you're back in the fight. You lost your concentration, and now you're back up the next turn. Great. Let's keep moving. Right. And, you know, there are some interesting uh, RP options for being someone who's dead. Right. So from Warlock, you get 8th level spells. Uh, from Fiend, you get things like Scorching Ray, Fireball Wall, Fire, which are great. Hex, the Hold Spells, Hypnotic Pattern. You know what to do. All right. We're going to take 7 Invocations, which all sound the same. So you should walk me through them. Sure. Devil's Sight, because, you know, it's going to be dark in places and you know maybe you're fighting undead as well agonizing blast because that's your bread and butter aspect of the moon so you don't need to sleep that makes you even more undeady beguiling influence because deception and persuasion are things you're going to be good at we'll get to that a bit later book of ancient secrets for more rituals whispers of the grave to talk to uh corpses and shroud of shadow uh level 15 is invisibility at will you will also gain temp HP whenever you kill a creature as one of your uh, Fiend Warlock benefits. Uh, you can also add plus 1d10 on a roll, including a death save. And that's no action, so you're unconscious, you're making a death save. Adding additional d10 makes it extremely likely that you're going to hit that 16+. plus. Yep. Uh, fiendish Resilience, uh, you can choose uh, a resistance, uh, I think on a short rest, and then... At level 14, you get Hurl Through Hell. You have already been to hell. So now you know how to get there. You send someone there. It's 10d10 psychic damage, no saving throw. So from Wizard, uh, we will get first level spells. That, of course, includes a lot of great versatility spells, your uh, shields and that sort of thing, um, as well as the portent ability in order to you know know what one of your d20 rules is going to be uh, that day and say it's higher than a 16. Well... Your first your first death save is going to be a minor speed bump. And then from Bard, we get second level spells, Jack of All Trades. You get Bardic Inspiration three times per day, and you can use it to subtract that Inspiration die from an enemy saving throw. But really, we're here 
for a minimum roll of 10 on deception and persuasion checks beginning at bard level 3. College of Eloquence from Mythic Odysseys of Theros. All right, in terms of leveling order, we will start with six levels of Warlock. Go ahead and take three levels of Bard. We'll get our Warlock to level nine, take our two levels of Wizard, and then finish out Warlock. All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to support the show and help other people find us. And if you do, we will read it on the air. So this is still the best RPG podcast out there. Five stars by D. Kinsman. Intelligent and thoughtful discussion, knowledgeable co-hosts, witty banter, fantastic editing, and numerous useful suggestions for both GMs and players make this the best RPG podcast out there. That is a lovely review. Yep, short, sweet, and we're over time. So thank you, <laughs> D. Kinsman. All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? Speaking of Mystic Odysseys of Theros, we will be reviewing that entire book next week. I think it's called Mythic Odysseys of Theros, but why dwell on it? Close enough. All right, we'll skip the character creation forge because uh, it's a full review episode, right? That's right. That's it for episode 254 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Cobalt Press's Empire of the Ghouls, The Underworld Player's Guide, and Underworld Layers are now available on their website at cobaltpress.com. Empire of the Ghouls is an Underdark campaign for levels 1 to 13, which I call the sweet spot. The matching Underworld Player's Guide includes new playable races from Darrow to Dark Trollkin to Drow and Mushroom Folk, plus new spell subclasses and backgrounds. The Underworld Layers book includes standalone Underdark adventures for characters levels 3 to 14. And the whole package is available now from cobaltpress.com and on Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds for online play. So if that interests you, find out more at cobaltpress.com and tell them DSPN sent you.